If you will stand for the reading of this morning's text, which you are standing. This morning we're going to be reading from Acts chapter 2. I'm going to start at verse 38 and read down through the end of the chapter. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children, and to all, all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there was added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Let's pray. Father, we pray today that you will bless the reading and the preaching and the hearing of your word. We ask that you will send your spirit among us. Let him be active here today. Let him comfort our hearts and lead us into all truths. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This is really close. I like this. So how many of you know the name Pastor Richard Wormbrand? A few of you know who that is. A number of weeks ago, Kimberly and I sent out an email. Um, There's going to be a full-length uh, movie about his life, or at least about a portion of his life, inviting others to come see it with us. And uh, you may remember that. But uh, Pastor Richard Wormbrand uh, is from Romania. He is of Jewish descent, and he became a believer and ended up being a pastor in the Lutheran church. As the communists were coming into Romania, they were luring the church in and asking them to help support the communist cause. Pastor Wormbrand stood up in a meeting that was on the radio, going out to all the people of Romania. And he basically said, communism and Christianity are not compatible. His microphone was shut off. He was escorted out. And not long after that, he was imprisoned. Kimberly and I decided we wanted to go see this movie Oh, for those of you who may not know, Wormbrand is the, uh, he's the founder of Voice of the Martyrs, which may be where you know him from. But Kim and I decided to go. We purchased our tickets online. 
we decided we were going to have a date night. We don't normally do date nights as a standard event on the calendar. We contacted Colton and Raquel, and they agreed to have dinner with us. And it was kind of cold and rainy that night. Um, but we had a great dinner and great conversation. And uh, as you might imagine, uh, we ran a little late, and the movie was sold out. So we ended up in the second row. For those of you who know modern theaters, that's a terrible seat. <laughs> we were so close to the screen that I couldn't see it. I mean, it was just hurting my eyes, and to get a good angle on it, it was hurting my neck. And uh, we both fidgeted and tried to get comfortable, and uh, both of us independently became convicted that here we were grumbling. You know, we just had a nice meal. We'd just driven in a nice warm car on a cold, rainy night. And we were watching a movie in a heated theater with soft seats, right? And we were grumbling. We were grumbling. As we watched this man on the screen get tortured for his faith. And we both thought, we are so soft. We are so soft. So last week, we talked about the Great Commission. We talked about what it means, how it's set up, and what our responsibility is. We talked about the covenantal nature of the Great Commission. We basically came away with the idea that we are called to make disciples. We are called to be discipled. We are called to make disciples. We are called to support those who are making disciples. And we saw that we have to start with our neighbors. And some of those neighbors live really close to us, in our own house even. Some of them have the same name that we do. And we saw that Jesus told them, all power is given to me. Therefore, go. His followers were to go. But what do we see? What do we see in the story of Acts? We see that they stayed together. And for good reason. Because Jesus told them to stay together until the Comforter comes. And as we've been in Acts chapter 2, we know what happens when the Comforter comes, right? This handful of believers, I don't know how many disciples there are at this point. There's debates on how many there is. There's not that many, okay? But they're being faithful to Jesus. They're being faithful to his word. They gather together. They pray together with one accord. And Jesus sends the Spirit. And the Spirit explodes onto the scene, changes the course of history. And thousands, through Peter's words, thousands are convicted of their sin and they repent. And they believe, and they are baptized, 
And the scripture tells us that 3,000 souls were added to the church that day. Then what happened? Did they go at that point? Actually don't, do they? We see in this passage that they're still together. They're preparing. They're preparing to take on the Great Commission, to go and disciple all the nations. But they realize that they must first themselves be discipled. And we get this really interesting glimpse into the daily life of the early Christians, of the first fruits of Pentecost, of the first fruits, the results of the Spirit coming and literally exploding onto the scene. What would we do with 3,000 souls added to our church in one day? They wouldn't fit, would they? Now, as we look at this passage, and I'm going to focus on verse 42 today. As we look at this passage, we see that it says, and they continued steadfastly. For those of you who like action items in your sermons, those of you who like points of application, your job is to continue steadfastly. So what does that mean? Many definitions here, they're all related. Persistence in an activity. To hold fast. To be devoted to. Continue steadfastly. To attend constantly. For you doers, to be busily engaged in. To persist in. I like this one. A faith that perseveres. A faith that perseveres. We've already seen this in the disciples in chapter 1, verse 14. It says, These all, meaning the disciples, continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, with all of his brethren. And then we see this emphasis again later in the leadership where it says, um, the elders talking about, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So because of their belief in Jesus, because they have been changed, because they have been made new, they continue Steadfastly. Singular in focus. But what is the activity? It is laid out for us here very cleanly. And there's some debate here on whether these four items, the Apostles' Doctrine, Fellowship, Breaking of Bread, and Prayers, if that is talking about corporate worship, or if that is speaking about their daily lives. I happen to believe this chapter speaks of both. I think in verse 42, we are getting a view or a glimpse of their liturgy. 
crude though it may be, I believe we are seeing their liturgy. But then we see later in this very chapter that this flowed out into their daily lives. We see that these early believers, impacted by the Holy Spirit, lived their liturgy. Passage tells us that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. None of these elements are mysterious. None of them are hard to understand. They are pretty straightforward. The apostles' doctrine just means teaching or instructing. We tend to view preaching and teaching, speaking to one another, we tend to see this as primary and in a liturgical sense, maybe so. But it's just as important and just as effective if we actually live out what we are teaching and what we are being taught. Your doctrine is taught and caught, right? It is observed. But it really doesn't come from the apostles, does it? See, one of, one of the major portions of Jesus' ministry was teaching. How does he teach with such great authority? And he taught his disciples. But even Jesus points back and says, look, these are the words of my Father. This is the will of my Father. So Jesus taught his disciples. And then Jesus' disciple, disciples, through the power of the Spirit, taught their disciples. And so on. And this even harkens back to the Great Commission, doesn't it? Teaching them to observe all things that I command you. And we talked about this pattern last week. Paul says, be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. We also see this in 2 Timothy. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. We see this in Titus 2 as well, that the older women teach the younger women. It is a pattern for our life. This discipleship, we can't get away from it. I would say since the apostles' teaching comes to us today primarily in the Spirit-inspired words of the New Testament. Submission to the teaching of the New Testament is a fundamental feature of our community in Christ. As we joyfully receive and diligently submit to the New Testament as the Word of God, along with the entire Old Testament. We then come to the word fellowship. We all understand what fellowship means. 
This is when you have somebody over for dinner and you chit-chat, you sit around and you talk. And that is true. But this word is slightly more complicated than that. It includes that kind of fellowship. But it also includes some things that uh, might surprise you. For we see in Acts chapter 2 something remarkable. Something that can only be accomplished by the supernatural power of the Spirit. See, we see a group of individuals submit to a whole new sense of life together. This life together is the defining center of who they are. They have been brought into a whole new way of life. As they give their names to Jesus, as they submit to baptism and are now identified with Christ, they are now in Christ. They become aware of and are driven by the priority of being part of a larger living whole. They have become part of the body of Christ. We see this all over the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, God is faithful by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We have fellowship with Jesus. And then in 1 John we read that ye also may have fellowship with us, that would be the disciples, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. We see here that we are in fellowship with Jesus Christ and with the Father. And in good Trinitarian fashion in 2 Corinthians 13, we see the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. So we have fellowship one with another. We partake in one another's lives. When one of us suffer, we all suffer. When one of us is filled with joy, we should rejoice with them. We share in the sufferings of Jesus. We share in all that has been given to him, which is everything. We have very close communion and fellowship with the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And we have access to the Father. But this word fellowship is used in another way in scriptures. We see this show up in this chapter. But in other places we see that it is collections made for those who are poor or poorer than you. Romans 15, 2 Corinthians 8. We see these contributions, it says in Romans 15. Fellowship in 2 Corinthians. And in 1 Timothy 6, it's translated as the word communicate. That you do good, that you be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. That's our word for fellowship. 
laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. This idea of fellowship defines who we are. We move on to breaking of bread. In this particular context, it is probably a reference to the Lord's Supper. If my guess is right here that this is a crude version of their liturgy, which is later lived out in the chapter, then this would be a view of the Lord's Supper. And it's, you know, the word, the word break here we know from Mark 14. And as they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed and break it and gave it to them, saying, take, eat. This is my body. There's another interesting use of this word. In Mark chapter 6, when Jesus is feeding the thousands, it says, and they did all eat and were filled And they took up 12 baskets full of fragments and of the fishes. And in John 6, it says it this way. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Gather up the fragments. Gather up the broken pieces, that nothing be lost. I believe this is a reference to, this breaking of bread is a reference to communion. But I see here a picture of us. We are the broken. Every one of us is broken. Those who come into our congregation and say, oh, I don't know about this Providence Church. Everybody seems to have it so together. Doesn't know us very well, do they? I would ask for a show of hands of who has it all together, but but I like this picture that we, the broken, the fragments, are gathered up and that none are lost. The word bread here is used throughout Scripture. It it means bread. Um, nothing, Nothing special there. Just the way it's used in John, it tells us that if we eat this bread, we live forever. So we have regular common bread, and then we have this supernatural bread that represents Jesus' body. It was broken for us, and we are that body. So there's great powerful image here, imagery here as well. And then it takes us to the last element, prayers. They continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. And they continued steadfastly. And we're told in other places to persevere in prayer. This prayer is part of the power that is in this group of new believers. Fueled by the Spirit and God's Word, they continued steadfastly in prayer. And it was powerful. I don't know if you noticed, but the beginning of the passage that I read today started with adding 3,000 souls to the church and ended with adding souls to the church. That is the power of the church. At this point, I would like to remind 
us as a community that we have several opportunities for prayer that I would like you to avail yourselves of. Sunday mornings, about 9 o'clock, we meet back there and we pray for this service and we pray for all of you who come to this service and we pray for all of those who can't come to the service. And I would encourage you that if you can make it, yeah, I know it's adding another hour to your morning, right? If you can make it, please join us. It is a powerful time of prayer. I would also want to encourage the men of the congregation that we have a prayer time in the service. I would love to hear, and I know the community would be blessed by you praying during that time. So why did I mention Pastor Richard Wormbrand at the beginning of the sermon? How is his story an illustration of this passage? I have to tell you that I was moved and deeply convicted by his story. He and his wife both were imprisoned for their belief, for being outspoken for saying that Christianity and communism were not compatible. They went to prison and they were tortured. When the Romanians had to deal with the Nazis, they said at least the Nazis would just kill them. But when the Russians came in under communism, they preferred to torture them. Christianity was not tolerated in the prisons. If they were caught teaching or preaching the apostles' doctrine, the one who was speaking, speaking was dragged off and they were beaten and they were tortured. And often, when the beatings were over, they would join back up with their group and they would pick up where they left off with joy in their hearts that they were allowed to suffer, that they were allowed to take part of the fellowship with Jesus Christ. See, their identity was in Christ. They had given up their names to Jesus they had lost everything except what was most important. The guards could not take anything from them of eternal value. Jesus had given them faith. The guards lacked the ability to take it from them. Even just meeting together, they risked great pain and suffering. But it was of their highest calling to fellowship with one another and to fellowship with Jesus. A lot of these political prisoners were working on a canal in Romania. The estimates are that there are somewhere between 10,000 and 200,000 prisoners who died 
while digging this canal. The equipment they had was terrible. And they primarily dug with shovels and pickaxes and carried the dirt out in baskets. Instead of resting when they had the opportunity, because they were required to do a certain amount of work every day regardless of their physical condition, instead of resting, they would join together and they would risk the torture. And they would give up whatever they had for the needs of the fellow believers. They would even smuggle in bits of bread, hard crust, probably not too dissimilar with the rocks that they dug during the day. But they would take these bits of bread and when they would get together, they would break it and they would distribute it and they would have fellowship with each other. Talk about hospitality at its extreme. They prayed constantly, which was also not allowed, just like the preaching and the teaching. And if they were caught praying, they would be beaten and they would be tortured. They record one instance where Pastor Wormbrand is praying in his cell. He is on his knees. And he is praying, and he is facing the doorway. And the guard looks in and sees him praying, and the guard is furious. He goes ballistic. And he is screaming at Wormbrand, and he says, Why do you do this? How can you continue to do this? Your God is not here. We have taken everything from you. What could you possibly be praying about? And Wormbrand opens his eyes, knowing that he is going to get beaten. And he says, I was praying for you. And the guard did not know what to do. And he leaves the room. These men... And these women were not ashamed of Christ. They knew what it would cost to be followers. They were singularly devoted. They continued steadfastly. And then that brings us to you and I, doesn't it? Jesus told us, and he gives us a new commandment. He says that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall men know that you are my disciples. That's what a disciple looks like. If you have love one to another. Do all men know that you are a follower of Jesus Christ? Is it obvious? Are you defined by your passion and your zeal for God's word? For fellowship? For the breaking of bread? And are you constant in prayer? Followers of Jesus 
who continue steadfastly in these four things will be completely out of sync with the surrounding culture. You should stick out like a sore thumb. Are you and I, are we committed to living in this way? That our focus be on the apostles' doctrine, the breaking of bread, fellowship, and prayer? Is this how we want to live? Or do we just want to play nice on Sunday morning? With there being no discernible difference between us and our neighbors. My prayer this morning, these past few weeks, has been that God would soften my heart. That he would empower me by the Spirit that I could preserve in God's word, that I would teach it, that I would live it, that I would teach it so that you could teach it. So that we would have fellowship one with another, that we would give, not just from our abundance, but we would give even when it hurt when we saw a brother or sister in need, the breaking of bread and prayers. This is the power of our church. These four items, empowered by the Spirit, sent out by Jesus, this is our fuel. This is our power source. Without it, we will not be here long. This is how we bear much fruit. Is this your desire? I can't answer that for you. Is this your primary focus? Is this how you set your priorities for you and your family? You know, if you go through one of the Christian financial curriculums, they will often tell you that you can see somebody's priority, priorities, by looking at their checkbook, or in our day, maybe their online bank account. I would add a calendar to that. So I want to encourage you to take a few minutes and review your calendar and see if it's obvious. Review your financial records and see if it's obvious. Would all men know that you are a follower of Jesus? There is no doubt we have all fallen short. There is no doubt that the people in the pages of Acts chapter 2 fell short from time to time. But God cares for you. He cares for us. He cares for this church. And if we seek his face, he will not turn us away. He will answer our prayers. He will empower us by his spirit and he will knit us together as his body. Let's pray. Father, it is true that we have fallen short.
again. Father, we know your word is true. We see on these pages your power exploding in time and history. We see it affecting the lives of those who were following you and who were not following you. And Lord, we long to see this kind of activity in our day. We long to see family members brought in to your people. We long to see children who are wayward brought back. We long to see your churches full of those praising your name and thanking you for the goodness that you have shown them. Father, we believe. We ask that you will help us in our unbelief. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.